So how was your week? Did you have a good week? How many of you had a good week? Yeah? How many of you had an average week? How many of you had, uh, I've had better weeks? Yeah. Um, this past week was a stinky week for me. I'll be honest with you. Uh, some of you know, but maybe many of you don't know, that on Monday I flew to Florida, um, went to Fort Lauderdale, um, and was helping to transition my mom and my sister and my sister's two kids up to Nashville. So my brother and I flew to Florida, we helped him pack, drove up to Nashville, I flew back from Nashville, got back Friday. Um, it was a stinky week. Um, I, I knew it was probably not going to go the best. Uh, the flight out of Tucson, uh, the person next to me dumped their Diet Coke on my pants on the way out, all over the seat, all that kind of stuff. And I get to Dallas, and uh, the first thing I'm worried about, of course, is you know what color Diet Coke is, and sitting in it, yeah, can lend, your, lend people to think something that really wasn't there. And I really want to make sure that it was all cleaned up kind of thing. And so you trade one for the other, and that is you trade what could be a stain now for wet marks in places that make people wonder. So I'm walking literally with my suitcase kind of going like this, just to make sure that no one is... You know, focusing, of course, when you do something like that, people will automatically focus on why are you walking like that. The very thing you're trying to give no attention to is the very thing you're giving attention to kind of thing, right? Um, and, and, and so, you know, catch the flight to Fort Lauderdale, and that was fine. Had a seat that was next to me that was empty, which was wonderful, but got in around 1230 in the morning kind of thing, which was fine and all that kind of stuff. I get off the flight, my sister's there to pick me up and says, hey, um, did you have a seat that, that was empty next to you? I said, yeah, well, yes, I did. And how did you know? Well, because my brother was supposed to surprise me by meeting me in Dallas to fly with me onto the last leg of the trip. That didn't happen because they had to de-ice in Milwaukee and he missed his flight. He ended up spending the night in the Dallas airport. They flew him to Miami of all places. So I've got to drive to Miami to pick him up the next day. But his luggage is in Fort Lauderdale, but it's not going to be there until 3.30 that day. Um, and Florida's gross. Um, at least it makes you feel gross. I mean, we were loading stuff, and I'm, I'm literally just drenching with sweat. Just, I mean, I am just, my pants are again wet, and this time it's not with water. It's with sweat. It's just awful. Just, it was so bad. I didn't have, I had a pants that was soaked in Diet Coke. I had now pants that were sweaty. I had one good pair of pants left. I'm in trouble. Had to run to Walmart and just pick up a new pair of shorts and a t-shirt, you know, just to at least get dry kind of thing. We finally just made it out of Fort Lauderdale at 6.30 at night. My brother hadn't slept for 24 hours. He hadn't showered in that time either. And, and, and finally, we just got a hotel room four hours up the road. We're like, that's it. And then the next day, we drove the last 10 or 11 hours to Nashville kind of thing. Um, it was a stinky week. A stinky week, literally and figuratively, which is interesting because the passage, what we're going to talk about today, really has to do with odor. <laughs> it really has to do with smells, right? Um, we're continuing this morning in our series called um, kind of going through our identity in Christ and looking at who we are in Jesus Christ as we have been doing for the past Oh, months plus now, if, if, I'm, if my memory serves me correctly. 
And we've been looking at different I am statements about who we are in Jesus Christ. And today is a little weird statement. I'm going to be honest with you because it has to do with smells. And, and this is the statement that we're going to look at today. And that is this. I am the fragrance of God. I am the fragrance of God. And this morning we're going to look at what does it mean to smell like God? Which brings up a whole host of questions in my mind, maybe in yours as well, is what does God smell like? Right? Does he smell good? Right? Or does he too perspire and does he too get stinky? I doubt that, but it just brings up a whole host of things in my mind about what does it mean to smell like God? I didn't think it was possible to smell like God. Right? I didn't think it was, it was, it was normal to smell like God. And yet, here we are presented with this identity statement that we are the fragrance of God. And so oftentimes in, in preaching and oftentimes maybe with each other, we might ask ourselves or ask each other, you know, are you being Jesus today? Are you being Jesus today? Right? How are you, how are you representing Jesus? Well, now this thing kind of throws that into a little, adds into that kind of question, a whole nother dynamic. And that is, are you smelling like Jesus today? Are you smelling like Jesus today? I want us to keep that in mind because that's the question I'm going to ask you all at the end of this message is how are you doing? It's smelling like Jesus, smelling like Jesus, because whether we realize it or not, as followers of Jesus, we actually are also the fragrance of God. And this morning we're going to unpack what does that look like? What does it what does it mean to smell like God. What does it mean to smell like God? And in and, and today's passage, we're going to take a look at, I think that there are three specific ways, not, they're not the only ways, but they are three specific ways that I think that we can smell like God, that we can have the fragrance of God. Now, I don't know about you, but I care a lot about my smell. I don't want to stink at all, right? And in and, and, and this time when I was in Florida loading up stuff, the, the sweaty just drenched. I mean, there were times I just wanted to, I got to reapply my deodorant, right? Have you ever done that? You don't have time to, you don't have time. And by the way, so after I, I, I forgot this part. So on Thursday, when I, we were done unloading, now they, they have the unenviable task of unpacking. We helped them unload, but it was even a little um, humid in Nashville as well. So I was sweaty there too. But here's the thing. I didn't have time to change. And Lori's brother and sister-in-law live in Nashville, so I said, okay, I'm going to spend some time with them. And well, they had a concert they invited me to that evening at the, at the high school there. One of their kids, or two of their kids, rather, in a, a percussion ensemble concert. And so I, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have time to change. I'm sweaty. All I could do was reapply deodorant and pray for the best. Oh, I put on a, 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 a shirt over my shirt so they couldn't see the sweat stains kind of thing, right? Uh, it was just... Just high, it's gross. I don't want to be gross anymore. I hate being gross. You know, and that's just the reality. By the way, I think I passed the smell test. Or they were really polite. Okay? They were really polite or I passed the smell test. Here's the thing. Whether we realize it or not, as followers of Jesus Christ, we either can smell like Jesus or not. We either have the fragrance of Christ that is just emanating from us, or it's not. And here's the thing that I think we're going to find out in this passage today, is that 
we may not always recognize whether or not we smell like Jesus, but I probably will guarantee you that those around us will know. And not only that, even worse, they will know when we don't smell like Jesus. And that's what I want us to discover today as we look at this statement. Because I hope that as we go through this passage, that we will embrace this statement that I am the fragrance of God. And more than that, we will discover what does it mean to carry that fragrance. What are the, at least in this passage, the three specific things that I think Paul shares about what it means for us to smell like God? Does that make sense? All right. Are you ready to get a little smelly this morning? Okay, let's do it. All right. Here's how we can carry the fragrance of God. And it's when I embrace the following. And one is this. God is deeply relational. I'm going to unpack this a little bit, but understand this point. God is deeply relational. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians. And by the way, I've said this before, I'll say it again. We have been spending a lot of time in this book as we've been working through these identity statements in Christ, which I don't think is by accident because I think this church struggled with their identity in Jesus. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Who am I? Now that I am a follower of Jesus, how, how am I defined now as a result of me being a follower of Jesus Christ? This church was really struggling with this, and so I think it's by no accident that we are spending a lot of time in these two books, First and Second Corinthians, looking at how Paul was trying to orient this church this new church, a church he planted, a church that he knew the people there, a church that he spent time discipling, a church that whom he deeply loved, that was really struggling and doing some really um, um, ungodly things in the midst of trying to be this church now that they had come to know Jesus Christ. And so it's just fascinating how, G, how Paul, rather, is trying to orient the Corinthians to understand, no, 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 no. This is who you are now in Jesus Christ. Embrace your new identity. Embrace your new identity. And let me just say this, church. I don't think that struggle is only limited to the Corinthians. I think even today, we struggle with our identity in Jesus. We really do. I think every single day, maybe, we, we struggle with our identity in Christ, that I am a Christ follower, that I am a, a person who is dearly loved by Jesus, and now I know that, and I embrace Jesus Christ, and yet I have this previous identity that I grasped onto, that I held onto for such a long time. Now it is really difficult for me to embrace this new identity that I now have in Jesus Christ. And so it's not unusual, I think, for even as Christians for us to vacillate, to go back and forth between our old identity and our new identity. And we might look like we're schizophrenic, or we might look like we're hypocritical, or we might look like we are just absolutely inconsistent. And you know what? We are. We are. We are deeply flawed people. We are sinful people. We know this. That's probably the biggest difference. And so when someone tells us, boy, you Christians are hypocritical, the very thing we should probably say is not to defend that and, and argue with them about that, but just to say, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, we are incredibly hypocritical at times. Because you know why? Because we're sinful people. And we're just struggling now to embrace our new identity in Jesus Christ. And it's really, really hard. 
I think it's, I think it's, I think honesty is the best policy. Right? I was at a retreat and it was interesting. There were two rules at this retreat that we could not do. One was we couldn't put on Jesus' face. And the other one, we couldn't do Jesus frosting. And what I mean by that is two things. One is Jesus' face. You can't put on a Jesus' face at this retreat and just say, everything's fine. Me and Jesus are great. I'm great. I'm great today. I'm good. I'm good, right? Oh, I'm, I'm happy. Jesus, Jesus in my life. Everything is great. Everything is wonderful. No, no, no. That's not true. That's not true all the time. No Jesus' face. Jesus' frosting is the frosting that we say on things like, when someone presents a problem and we say, oh, all you need to do is just take it to Jesus and he'll solve it for you. That's Jesus frosting. No Jesus frosting and no Jesus face. I think that's something that maybe we as Christians ought to embrace even here in this church. No Jesus face and no Jesus frosting. Giving, dare I say, and I, I may offend some of you, but really you, you need to understand it kind of, this is kind of stinky to say sometimes is when someone presents us with a, a problem that they're struggling with, and all we say to them is, well, let's, all you need to do is just take it to Jesus, and he's going to solve that problem right there, right then, and right now. That is a stinky statement. That is a stinky statement. You know what that statement ultimately says is, I wish you well. Good luck. <laughs> Woo, glad I don't have your problem today. That's what that statement means. We walk away fine, but they walk away worse off. Or worse, if you've ever had that said to you, how helpful is that? <laughs> Truly, how helpful is that? It's not. It's not. It's better, I think, just to be honest with them and say, man, I am so sorry. That is, I wish I had the cure. I wish I had the solution right there. I wish I could give it to you right now. And you know what the reality is, is I don't. But here's what I can do. I can walk with you through this. That's what I can do. That's the best I can offer you is me. And that's it. Okay, so that's, whew, that's just the intro. That's just the intro. Okay, here it is. Apostle Paul is writing to this church. And it's like no Jesus face, no Jesus frosting stuff here. And he says this uh, in, in verse 12 of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I think I'm, no, I'm in the second. I'm in the first letter. Let me get to the second letter. I almost started reading that. And I think there have been a lot of confusion, including by me. Um, on this. Let me get to that. I told you it was a stinky week. So hang with me here. Okay. Now, when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, and I had no rest in my, for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but saying goodbye to them, I went to Macedonia. Now, interesting, interesting start to this passage here. Here's what was going on, is that Paul now had left the Corinthians, and yet, in the meantime, he was hearing about some of the struggles they were having and some of the things they were doing, and he was deeply concerned about it. So he wrote them a very hard letter. A, a letter that he knew, as he was writing it, was going to be received um, as, as, as a rebuke. It was going to be received as certainly a disciplinary action that Paul was taking against this church. And he felt awful about having to write this letter, but he knew he needed to write this letter. He knew he needed to confront them about what they were doing. Here's the thing, you all. We may not have that letter. That letter may have been lost. Many theologians believe we just, we just don't have that letter. We only have implications that he wrote this letter because of what he said in these two letters that we do have to the Corinth. 
uh, to the church in Corinth. But nonetheless, it was an incredibly hard letter for him to write because he knew that he had to discipline them for what they were doing. And so this just weighed on his mind, completely weighed on his mind about what the church was going to do when they received this letter. How were they going to receive this letter? How were they holding up? What was going on there? And so Paul had to leave, but yet he left, he left Titus there to kind of you know, fill in the gaps and make sure uh, you know, when he delivered that letter, how was the letter going to be received and how are they doing and how are they getting along and are they receiving it well and are they learning from it? In other words, Paul deeply loved this church. So much so that there was a ministry opportunity that Paul himself writes that he could now go and evangelize in Macedonia. And not only that, Paul says the following, the Lord himself opened up a door for me to go and minister and evangelize in this region. Oh my word. You mean to tell me, Paul, the Lord himself opened up this opportunity for you to go and evangelize, for you to go there and to share the gospel with these people. And yet, what does Paul do? He doesn't go. Instead, he goes to find Titus because he deeply loves this church and he wants to find out how are they doing? What's going on? What is happening there? And so he goes to this city, Trous, to try to find Titus to find out what's going on. You know what that says? I mean, there's a bunch of things, I think, that, that, this, that can be perceived about this. As a pastor, as a person in full-time ministry, oh my word, Paul, what are you doing? The Lord himself opened up an opportunity for you to go to evangelize, and you're not doing it. You are being disobedient. You're out of step. You are out of line. Maybe God ought to write you a letter. Right? What are you thinking? God himself gave you this ministry, ministry opportunity, and you are throwing it away. What is wrong with you? Uh, that's my pastor self. You do understand, right? And by the way, I am completely biased in that way right? I think everyone should be in professional ministry. Well, not really. I ought to say that, right? Um, but what I think what Paul did here speaks to, whom, to who God is, and that is this. God is highly relational, and what I mean by that is he cares about every single person, even to the point of letting go of opportunities that maybe have been presented in favor of making sure that the individual is being cared for. And if you doubt me, I encourage you to look at Luke chapter 15. In that, in that chapter are three parables that Jesus himself speaks of. And it's the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. Do you know what is interesting about all three of those parables is one thing. They were all singular. A coin a sheep, and a son. And in each of those parables, Jesus explains that the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a woman who loses a coin and she searches all over the house to find it. And when she does, she calls over people to celebrate with her because she found this coin. I don't know what was special about this coin. There may have not been anything special about this coin. It may have been a coin among many coins. It doesn't matter. To this woman, that coin was so important. Or the parable about the lost sheep. When one of the sheep strays off and that he leaves the what? The 99 to go and search for that one sheep and brings him back. And there's a celebration. And of course, we know about the lost son, the prodigal son, the son who, who said, Dad, I want to just, let's just, 
let's just role play this in the future and let's make the future now. You're dead. I want your inheritance that you're going to give to me anyways. Goes off and squanders it. Comes back and the son is found and there is a big party. Do you understand that there's partying in heaven? Yes. Amen. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of celebrating going on in heaven all the time. What does that mean? What that means to me and what I think this means to Paul is Paul was willing because of his love for this church, the love for these people whom he'd been with, who he discipled, who he shared the gospel with. He loved these people so much. He was willing to forego this opportunity that God himself had presented to him and said, no, I need to leave the 99 and go for the one. I need to go and leave all these coins and search for the one. I need to leave and, and embrace that lost son who is now coming home. Let me just say this to all of us here today. God cares for you, singular you, personally, deeply, more than you will possibly ever know. And ministry, and ministry, and, and, and really about, about smelling like God, champions the reality that ministry is highly relational. It is all about relationships. That's what ministry is. Ministry is all about relationships. There is a saying among pastors, not all pastors, well, pastors, I think almost all pastors know this, but they may not all say it, but they're probably all thinking it. Ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. <laughs> Here's another, I'm going to let you in. I'm, I'm, pulling the I'm pulling the curtain back, okay? Wizard of Oz time. Okay, I'm pulling the curtain back. Um, this is another thing that sometimes pastors say among each other. Sheep bite. <laughs> ministry is hard. Forget that. Let's just set ministry aside. Relationships are hard. Amen? Oh, my word. I mean, they're really, really, really hard. I mean, I, I, counselors are making bank because relationships are hard. If relationships were hard, counselors would be out of business, right? If relationships were, weren't hard, there would be no need for any marriage retreats or anything else like that. If relationships weren't hard, there would be no need for you to be here in church to talk about the ministry of reconciliation. There's no need. But the reality is just the opposite of that. Relationships are really hard, and because of that, ministry is also really hard because ministry is all about relationships. It's all about caring for each other. It's all about making sure, not only corporately, but also individually, that people are being cared for, that they are seen, that they are heard, that they are valued, and that's really, really tough. I think sometimes, and I'm part also to, that I've, I've fallen into this or have gone along with this is that there have been, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, that there have been business practices that have been brought into the church and practiced. And so we're all about the vision statement. We're all about the mission statement. We're all about values. And we're all about making sure that we are, we are moving forward to the goal, that we are moving towards whatever God has in store for us. And in the process, what we say to people, if you're not all about the vision, if you're not all about the mission, then you shouldn't probably be here. Go find a church where you are all about the mission and vision. Nothing wrong with that, but here's the problem that is there. Potentially, 
we can now sacrifice individuals in ministering to them because they may not fit into our church. That's the problem. We can become so mission-focused that we forget that the mission are people. That the mission are people. Ministry is all about people. That's what ministry is. And so when there are oftentimes people who want to go into ministry, full-time ministry, I'm like, yes, amen, praise you, Jesus. Yes, go into ministry. And then they find out, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean I can't just preach and teach and study all week? Uh, <laughs> you can. Probably not in a church setting, though. I mean, really. Really, not in a church setting. I mean, that'd be wonderful. You can get that. You know what they call that job, preaching and, and teaching and being able to read and write all week? You know what that's called? It's called being a professor. <laughs> Have you ever seen the life of a professor? Whoo, the ones I know. That's a nice life. That's a nice life. I got three classes to teach. The rest of the time I can read, write, do all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's, there's, there's aspects they have to do as well that is not always easy. But nonetheless, um, that's not the way it is in the church. Sorry. Ministry is all about people. And by the way, as a result, ministry is inconvenient, ministry is disruptive, and ministry is interruptive all the time. It is. It is. It happens all the time. It does. And you just have to roll with it. You have to be flexible because guess what? Everyone is valuable to Jesus. Everyone has stuff they're going through. Everyone has a week they may be coming off that's kind of stinky. It's not all about me. I wish it was. But it's not. And it's not all about all of you either. It's about Everyone else, including us. Ministry is hard. God is deeply relational. And if we forget about the fact that ministry is all about ministering to people, we have lost what ministry is all about. God loves every single one of us. And ministry is here to prove it. Amen? I love what the late Rich Mullins, who was a, a Christian singer, artist, um, he was the kind of guy that just lived life very differently. He kind of found out what the average salary was of a person, and he lived in Indiana, I believe, in his town, and, and he made far more than that, and he capped his salary at that. He said, I'm only going to make what the average person makes here, which was not very much. And he lived a very simple life, and he, and he would just point out some really awesome things, but he said this about ministry, and, I, and I, I, to, the, to this it speaks to me. He said this, I would like to encourage you to stop thinking of what you're doing as ministry. Let me say that again. I would like to encourage you to stop thinking of what you're doing as ministry. Start realizing that your ministry is how much of a tip you leave when you eat in a restaurant. By the way, if you have those $100 looking track things about Jesus and you think that's good enough to leave for a tip, you stink. <laughs> Just laying it out right out there. You can leave those, but you better leave also real money. That's stinky. Okay? That's stinky. goes on, he says this. It's when you leave a hotel room, and whether you leave it all messed up or not, 
whether you flush your own toilet or not. <laughs> your ministry is the way that you love people. And you love people when you write something that is encouraging to them, something challenging. You love people when you call your wife and say, I'm going to be late for dinner, instead of letting her burn the meal. You love people when maybe you cook a meal for your wife sometime because you know she's really tired. Loving people, being respectful toward them. That, that's ministry. And all of us are called to that kind of ministry. Amen? God is highly relational brothers and sisters, and we better embrace it and we better realize it. Here's the second one. A second way that we can uh, kind of carry the fragrance of God is when I realize I am fully reliant on God. I am fully reliant on God. Verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2 says this, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us reveals the fragrance of the knowledge of Him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death, and to the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate, and this is the key question, and who is adequate for these things? Who is adequate for this kind of ministry? And the answer is no one is. It's only because of Jesus Christ that we are adequate to spread this fragrance of him among those who are either dying or who are either alive. It is only because of Jesus Christ. And this brings up a reality that Paul realized, and I think he writes here, is that although he would, did not go to Macedonia, and although he did not take that opportunity that God gave to him to go and minister there, guess what? Paul was confident enough that God's will will be done. Ministry is not reliant on me, Paul says. It is reliant on Jesus, and Jesus will make sure that